Hey folks, on this episode of Difficult Conversations Made Simple, we have Billy Hearn. Um, Billy has been playing football, hurling, Gaelic football. Uh, I'm sure there's a ton of other sports he was involved with from a young age throughout. Then he speaks about getting involved in coaching and the different experiences he has been involved with. Uh, He speaks about some of the gaps in the games around uh, coaching players mentally. Um, We speak about... His experiences, how he balances his personal life, his professional life, and his sporting commitments as well. So on this podcast, Billy doesn't just throw out like sports related stuff. He throws out really good advice about life in general, and um, one really good point to him. He adds is that sometimes the best thing we can do is nothing, which is really interesting. Uh, it's counter everything and often i see it work for people as well where they just kind of take a step back and then the next day as billy will explain in the podcast the whole picture changes and what we could have stayed up worrying about is over with or almost over and someone else has taken care of it or the picture has changed itself so there's no need to worry i really enjoyed this podcast uh, really really great pieces of information throughout so i know you will too so yeah enjoy So today on Difficult Conversations Made Simple, we have Billy Hearn and we're going to talk about mental health in sports. Billy, thank you for coming on and welcome. Can you tell us a little about yourself and why you agreed to come on and do this podcast? Billy Hearn is the name, obviously, as you said, uh, living in Warford, um, involved in sport all my life from, from a kid. I'm uh, heading towards the wrong end of 60 at this stage, now we late 50s. But, um, uh, I work full time in the ESB, uh, but uh, sport and football is my passion. I suppose I got involved in it as a kid, uh, just playing on the street and then playing club sports, uh, Gaelic football, and hurling initially, and then soccer. And I suppose soccer took over then as the love of my life. Um, I'd better not say that in front of the wife, but uh, <laughs> took as the, as one of the the main things that I got involved in. So sports um, have always been uh, part of your life growing up and still to this day is still very much part of your life. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. When I finished playing in my 30s then, uh, kind of, I loved uh, just being involved in sports so much. I wanted to get stay involved and the best way to do that was become a coach or a manager. So I dabbled in a bit of management with school by teams and then um, got into coaching. Very good, very good. Um, so, Billy, we're going to talk about mental health in sports, so I just want to start off with a kind of generic one. Um, so, what would be your opinion on stigmas uh, among men, such as, like, real men don't cry or be a man? Uh, I suppose, like, <laughs> like, I grew up in the, the 60s and the 70s, and I suppose back then, like, sport was, you know, like, a, there was a hard man attitude towards it in some ways, like, that uh, you, you had to be a tough guy. And that was, say, I suppose, regarding the physicality of the game and that, like, mm-hmm. uh, small little players were brushed aside in it, like, and the dressing room was all about being, you know, the tough guy. Um, and I suppose brute force and, and physicality was in all of the games I played, like Gaelic football and hurling, especially, I suppose, and soccer as well, like, uh, I suppose, on the pitch itself, you know, the big centre half and the big centre forward were always the the macho men in the team, like uh, teams were mm. built around that kind of physicality. <clears throat> I suppose when you think back, when I think back to it in the, the dressing rooms then, like it was, you know, it was get up and get into them. Like uh, I suppose sport was, like it, it is, you know, the games I played were skillful and especially soccer, like the beautiful game. Like, But there was also kind of a macho, hard man uh, image in it, I think, which a lot of people liked. And the tough tackler and that, like they became famous, even on the TVs. Back in the seventies and eighties, like we were looking at the likes of Billy Bremner and them, like tough players and hard men, and uh, they were kind of idolised, like for that toughness, like you know, and the, the little the the will of the wisp player, you know, it wasn't. There was just always a macho image about it. Like. Yeah, no, hundred percent, and it's interesting. You said like back then, both in football and hurling in a community setting, you weren't judged for playing football because it wasn't a soft sport, but. Now it's perceived as football being a softer sport and there's often a lot more jeering between like um, 
males that are playing hurling and if they start playing football they're like oh why are you playing that like you know there's a, a kind of a jeer and about football being a softer sport than hurling yeah, I suppose that's that's really a, it's an Irish thing, really. Like that's uh, like every school and every parish in the, in the country has a GA team. Like, and you were you you played with your, with your club. Like, and even in the city, uh, in Watford, like uh, there was you know a, a tribalism about the different clubs, like the Mount Sinai and the Della Salle. Like, and again, as a kind of you know, when I think back on it, like it was just it was there was a hard man attitude towards it. Like, you had to be a tough guy. Like. And, um, it was kind of the the big buy and the bully won. Like, but uh, I think that um, it was just uh, I won't say it's it's hard to describe it. Like, but uh, like there didn't seem to be a place there or talk about you know um, you know a mental health issue or anything like that. Like it was expected. Like that the the, the player or the lad that was playing on the team like was tough and he could take anything like yeah that was very interesting what you were saying there that about the generational kind of growth within football and hurling teams where people were supposed to be just mentally strong what do you currently find is the biggest barrier among men to talk about their feelings particularly in sports teams yeah because i said going back to what i was thinking you know what i was talking about there like uh, my own experience as a, as a teenager and a young adult playing playing the games like um, there wasn't a lot of, of talk about uh, mental issues back in the, the, the 70s, 80s, like when I was playing. But uh, as, as I kind of transformed from a player to a coach, and I suppose the world changed a lot, and uh, different pressures came on kids and, and on, on players, you know, and young adults, like from outside influences. Like in my time, it was just sport only. Like, you know, we went from street football to, to club football to maybe schools football. And then uh, the adult game, like as we went through our working lives, uh, it was our release at the weekends to play uh, junior football, uh, soccer in my case, like from for my late teens onwards. Um, but I think that it, life was probably simpler back then and there wasn't the pressures that came on kids. But as I, as I trans, transitioned from the player to the coach, I suppose the world did change at that stage and I started to notice um, the way you know outside influences uh, came on uh, young adults, young men mostly as I was dealing with. Although I, I, I did have have uh, uh, coaching experience in, in in the female game as well in, in ladies football, but uh, I, I think it's it all it, it always stems say, from um, you know an outside uh, thing, and I suppose more slatterly you're talking about uh, social media and that, but. There was always, you know, things in in life um, back then. As was that, uh, you know, there was there was we say a standard set or a, a role model that uh, and an image that uh, a kid had to aspire to. And uh, I think that if there was anything outside that, um, you know, they were seen as as a little bit different to our. Uh, he's a bit on the soft side of that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's a really interesting because you're saying from the seventies and eighties. Like um, there wasn't really much for mental health or any support like that, but you've seen it evolve over time. And even till now, there was pressures as there was back then, but now there's different types of pressures. So even though players are more open to speaking to um, either their best mates on the team or coaches or whoever, they still have these extrinsic uh, like pressures from parents. And obviously some parents like have these idolizing like factors for their kids and they want them to do so well and then also as you said you have this social media image which is a big burden for some young players to carry and uh, live up to at times yeah what you said there um that's an interesting question shane like i suppose as again um when i became a coach like uh, and i started with the younger ages uh, you know so youth football and down like um you know, I mentioned social media, you've mentioned it there, and it was just uh, parents and they say, expectations that were put on young kids. And I suppose as my coaching career advanced and I got involved at more elite, elite level, uh, the pressures became a little bit stronger, I suppose, on those young players. Like, And I suppose, uh, you know, maybe without, without thinking about it, some parents uh, were probably putting a little bit of undue pressure on their, their mm-hmm. young uh, siblings like to... 
you know, to achieve or to, to you know, to go on and, and, and achieve what maybe the parents thought was a yeah. level of success, like, you know, which mightn't have equated to what the kid or, you know, what what should be measured as success. Like, I think that, that brought a pressure on, on young adults. Um, but as I said, like, it was only then I became aware of that type of thing. Right? In, in, uh, in pressing that, it became a, a topic of conversation. And I think then, like it, it brought it out into the open. I won't say that's you know made it any easier on a kid or a, a young lad that was, was suffering you know from undue pressure from wherever it was, like whether it was mm-hmm. you know, from say teammates or expectations of parents or um, you know expectations of, of of a manager or a coach or that. Like, but I think um, I just became more aware of it, um, and I think as as time went on. Um, you know, in, into we say the, 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 the millenniums as, as we turn, turned into the, the, the 21st century, um, and social media then became su- such a massive thing. Like I think that that you know built up even more pressure on uh, young adults. So it just it became I think um, a, a hell of a lot of pressure from what became you know from what might have started as say. Um, pressure that was, we say, um, you know, the, the person who was putting the pressure on mightn't have recognised or known that they were doing that. Mm-hmm. But I think it became, a, it became a, a thing in society like that. People intentionally started to put pressure on people for whatever reason, for their own amusement or, yeah. you know, just to have one-upmanship on other people. And I think it just, the world changed around then. And I think it, it put an untold pressure on uh said the young adults like so so many interesting points there but what i'm gonna focus in on i like i remember playing school by football and there were certain pitches in waterford that i hated playing because you have the parents screaming there on the pitch from the first minute to the 90 93rd or whatever it may be but some some parents maybe consciously coaching their kids on top of the coaches and then other parents may not realise what they're doing is actually quite a hindrance to the player and can be crippling for some players. Would you have any advice for parents who want to be supportive to their kids but um, also not put that pressure on them where they can affect their performances either physically and um, mentally? Uh, yeah, like I think, I think every young player uh, coming through, we just, just say in football, uh, he needs a support around him. He needs a you know, he he needs to be, um, he, he needs to know that the people around him actually trust him to do his best. Like, mm-hmm. and I think he's got to set his own targets and his own goals for it. Like, I mean, he's, I suppose the one thing about uh, football is like it's a, it's a great learning experience. Like the game itself, you know, it teaches you, you know, about camaraderie, about uh, hard work as well. Like, yeah. and the rewards of hard work. And I think there's a huge amount, like, you know, for the individual, you know, as part of a team to learn about himself and about uh, a group of people and about others. Yeah. And what makes it say, easy for that person or that player, like, is when that support mechanism, like, of family and friends around him, like, you know, lets him do his thing, let him make his own mistakes, um, you know, let him enjoy the sport, obviously, and the game itself, like. Um, and stand back and, you know, just encourage them. I think that's the best thing. I think what happens, and, you know, we've, we've seen, and I've seen it at close quarters, is that, like, some parents, like, set themselves a target for their kid to achieve, mm-hmm. like, and that's, that, that can't work. It never will work. It, like, put untold pressure. It also puts pressure on the relationship between the kid and the parent. Yeah. And I think yeah. Um, that, 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 that's not a good thing. Um, no, no, no. And, and ultimately, it will end up in a... In a explosion per se in one way or another where the, the parent may or the parent may have pushed the kid to be successful but the kid may resent that parent it's funny you're talking about like um camaraderie and individuals so like in football uh, per se it used to be like you know get the ball to whoever you even see it even at the most elite levels get the ball to Messi like that's Barcelona's probably main tactic but then it became a thing like 
um, oh, well, actually, we need a strong eleven to win these games. And you see that with Liverpool. But now, again, it's uh, evolving and they're saying, well, actually, we need a strong squad. We need everyone involved. So it's interesting to see the growth from 1 to 11 and then ultimately the whole squad now is paramount to any team's success. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, you know, a team is made up of individuals, like, uh, and the individuals have certain ability, like, mm-hmm. um, like to be a successful team. Like, you've got to bring it. You know, you have to, there's there was always exceptions, like uh, a Maradona or someone might carry a team mm-hmm. through, but uh, but he he won't operate unless the others are are, are you know uh, are, are part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, like you know, for anyone, any young lad getting involved in sport, like you know, he will, you know, follow his heroes, and you know, he will have his his icons that uh, he wants to emulate. Um, and I think it, it, that's a really good thing, and it's a positive thing to do that. Like, but I think you know, uh, we all have a limit of what we can achieve. Like, and I think you know, it's one of the things that I learned as a player myself. Like, is that it's not all about uh, success and the trophies. And that, like, I, I played with a team that was, was a very good team and was competitive, which you want, like, uh, but it didn't go out and win a lot of trophies. And, you know, some people from the outside said, oh, you underachieved, or you weren't this and you that. Like, but mm-hmm. we got a huge amount of enjoyment out of it. And, you know, we made friendships that stood to us the, the test of time, like, and there was a support mechanism in that. And I think that... Like we we probably left our own devices a lot at the time, like regarding managers and coaches. And there's something I learned myself. Then as a coach, uh, you know, you can interfere too much in it. Like you know, mm-hmm. coaching is about guiding a person. And I think the parenting thing that we, we spoke about earlier is very similar. Like you know, you might have ideals and a target, and you say like, you know, that's something that you can achieve. But not everybody can achieve. You know, maybe a set goal. And if you don't, well, at least once you've tried your best, and you know, I use the expression at times, best endeavours. Like, mm-hmm. if you can just you know, do your best to get to uh, whatever level of enjoyment and success, you know, that you can. Um, and don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, I mean, it, it, it's part of the whole learning process of playing sport and living your life. Like, is to to make a mistake, accept it. And, you know, you don't have to apologize to anybody for it. Like, you know, when those things go wrong, like you learn from it and maybe, you know, if it's a thing you don't want to do again, well, you can use the experience to try to avoid doing it again. Um, That's that's really interesting that you talk about that and making mistakes. And like, um, as you said, like you, you, when you were playing football, you were in a good team and, as was I, like I used to enjoy playing football, but you would have these comments coming in as in like, oh, you didn't win anything and, you know, these negative comments. But like people like may need to just realise that these negative comments do nothing for um, young footballers um, from school by age to senior age. The comments just aren't helpful to anyone. And uh, what you refer back to is you enjoyed it and I'm sure everyone else on that team enjoyed football and that's what it's about. Um, I'm just going to go on to the next question just to say, how has sport helped you mentally? You speak about enjoying it there. Has it been through team camaraderie or the release of feel-good endorphins from winning games and being successful? Uh, As I mentioned earlier, uh, the the amount of games we won, like, well, it was probably 50-50. I said I played in a competitive team. And just from... uh, 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 my position was goalkeeper and I suppose I just loved uh, you know if I was in a game that uh, I was in a, plenty of action and I was making saves or picking the ball out of the back of the net it didn't really matter to me well it did I suppose but I, yeah. you know I just loved the actual skill of the game and I got massive enjoyment out of that um, at the the, the success of the team, uh, like to me, was just you know enjoying the game. Uh, yeah, we got to a couple of finals and might have lost them. Uh, never, never really won a silverware as such, like in the, as an adult player. But uh, you know, I played for for fifteen years with the same group of lads, uh, basically the same group of lads, and I got great enjoyment out of it. Um, it was just uh, an enjoyable part of my life, like, and I said I loved it so much. I didn't want to leave it go, and kind of mm-hmm. coaching became the, the natural thing for me to do after that, like. And that's that's the great thing about sport. Like, you just had a great team, and you just loved playing together. So it didn't matter whether you were getting to the quarterfinals or semifinals. You were probably just as happy as the team who was winning this trophy every year. 
Billy, you have worked at some of the highest levels in football and you are well regarded to the Waterford football community and even more so outside as well. Um, has there been any difficult moments through this journey and what has helped you during these moments? Uh, yeah, like this, <laughs> life, life isn't simple or straight. Like, you know, it's a challenge every day. Like, and I suppose... Um, my my work in the with the company I work for with ESB, um, trying to marry that with uh, coaching, as you mentioned there. Like I was fortunate enough to get involved at, at League of Ireland level, which was a massive amount of travel, and uh, I did some underage international again with a bit of travel, but also probably a little bit of pressure and. Well, no, I, I, I never saw it, never do seek the limelight in anything that I do. Um, I suppose it puts you out front and centre a little bit and stretched yourself, like, you know, especially at uh, League of Ireland level when there's, you know, a, a lot of um, involvement with the first team with the local team, the Blues, like, there was, mm-hmm. you know, was a, a lot of focus and media attention on what you were achieving then. And again, with the international uh, commitment, I suppose I was uh, sprung into, into a, a group of people and coaches that I was just getting to know and you would only be around them for a short time and then there was a certain pressure to try and make an impression, you know, both as your, to yourself as a coach and, and to the, the players that you're trying to help and assist, you know, uh, achieve something at, as, a, as a, you know, reasonably high level. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that brought a, a little bit of pressure, I suppose, all the time just to even operate, it would say, in what would be a professional setup as uh, a semi-professional, if you know what I mean? Like, because I also had my, my daytime job to cope with. So, like, there was, you know, pressures there. Um, I suppose one of the things I did as a coach, um, after doing my, um, my UEFA badges, uh, the FUI asked me to get involved in coach education. And I was kind of lucky enough to, to go down to uh, the UL in Limerick and do uh, the... Um, coach education uh, level two generic um as a coach education tutor course down there which was it tested me a lot being honest with you because being used to being just a player and then evolving into a coach to go into coaching the coaches was was a tough ask so and a lot of that was happening around the same time uh in in my life um still involved with the league of ireland doing a little bit of international and doing that so i did feel I suppose uh, pressure and probably pressure of of the sort that was uh, you were expected to to perform. But uh, I think the coach education, the tutors course down there, um, you know, I met a lot of very very good people, and there's one person in particular, uh, Liam Morgan, who'd be very well known for as a as a coach educator, and uh, he does a lot of work on the psychology of sport. Um, and the transition then from being a coach to being a coach educator was a completely different thing. And he, I suppose, taught me how to try evolve and change myself in some ways to suit the task that was given to me. And uh, I struggled with it, uh, uh, you know, in the early days. I struggled a lot with it, being honest with you. And I, I didn't think I'd complete it. Uh, it just seemed to stretch me. And as I said earlier, I probably wasn't used to the limelight I, I've any time I managed um, was with you know underage and school boys and you know I was say been you know pushed and pushed more into the front line assistant at, at League of Ireland level with first team and then with the international setup and then coach education where you have to stand in front of say people like yourself and try um, you know help them to become good coaches like so. Uh, I have to say, like, like there was a stretch put on on, on my resources, both mental uh, and uh, you know my own self belief in uh, what I could achieve or what I was was I good enough? I suppose I had loads of doubts at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, I suppose the coping mechanisms, you know, I did, they weren't self taught. Like uh, I think Lee Morgan helped me a lot down in in Limerick, um, you know, about that, you know. <laughs> You know, when you go to to do anything, um, we all have a, a fear of being inadequate. Like we all all have, you know, a fear of I suppose other people's expectations of you. Um, but I suppose he he tried to you know instill in me you know raise a certain amount of self belief, but also you know 
the fact that people are the people that you're dealing with around you are that uh, require something from you they're actually inherently good people like and they want you to be good like they're not there to you know hoping that you're going to fall on your arse if you know what i mean or yeah yeah people actually want you to be good and want you to to succeed and i think that that helped me i suppose you know uh, and and i brought that from that time forward in my life like that uh, whether it was, uh, we'll say, uh, obvious or not obvious, um, I took it that the people that I was dealing with, and I use this also in, in my my uh, daytime work, we'll say, in the, in, with ESP, is that people want you to succeed, people want you to be do, to to do the right thing, people want you to enjoy what you're doing as well, like. So I kind of it helped me to overcome, I suppose, the fear of you know failure, which we all have, like in anything we do. Um, I won't say I now have a, di- a devil may care attitude. I still you know care about what I do, but I think the the fear element uh, and the questions that were being asked of me, uh, I think I developed uh, a way of coping with that. Like, but as I said, I didn't self help it. it. It didn't come naturally to me uh, I had to seek the help and when I was at the high level I, I, I you know I, I wasn't I didn't you know I didn't run away from it mm-hmm. uh, but I certainly felt at times that uh, look maybe this is not, just not for me but I, I, I wanted to do it uh, it, it tested me mm-hmm. uh, I got some very good help and support I have to say like along the way no, that's that's really interesting just to hear like um that there was some psychology in that course, um, especially a football course, but um also it's a really good point to make that people want you to do well and it, it serves no purpose to think like, oh, this person here is really like watching me closely and they want me to fall or anything, because like speaking for the majority majority of people that they want you to do well, they want you to um, provide an excellent course or be really insightful and use your knowledge and uh, I think that it's, it's important that we acknowledge that relieving some of that pressure and knowing that right not everyone here wants me to fail like people are here to uh, coach me forward and um, it's interesting there that you refer back to um, your nine to five your day job um, there there's various types of pressures in in your day job too as there is in sports um, has there been anything that you have learned from um, on the pitch or off the pitch, say in your nine to five job, that has helped you to alleviate or manage some of the pressures involved. So, um, maybe you spoke about the um, just knowing that people want you to do well. Has there been anything from the workplace that has helped you, or has it all like <laughs> your learning football? Yeah, again, like you know, you know, a lot of us. Um, do we ever have an original thought ourselves like you know are we just always influenced by someone else does it always come from somewhere else and I think it does like you know we figure things out for ourselves um, at times but it's always uh, from you know grabbing ideas or grabbing thoughts or grabbing words or a feeling from someone else like that makes us you know what we are like and I think one of the first things I met an interesting character when I joined ESP is very involved in football too. Um, Dick O'Brien, he was he was the secretary of the Waterford Soccer Club back in the, the heydays, the sixties, the seventies. But uh, he kind of probably took a shine to me, uh, you know, at, when I went in there because you know I had a, we had a common interest in football. But uh, you know when I started. Uh, Say, being pushed to do things uh, within the job which you know you'd be half afraid of as a young kid going in there mm-hmm. uh, as he said to me like any mistake you make can be corrected and that kind of stuck with me so I was never afraid of making mistakes um, and I just uh, I, I got on with it um, the you know the crossover between say your nine to five job uh, and we say even your personal life and sport like they're all interwoven I think like and you know I use the same uh, we'll say, uh, standard uh, or the way I behave or the way I try to interact with people like whether it's my family or with the sport colleagues or uh, or work colleagues or you know just the, the general public people you meet on, on a day like 
I mean, I think if you, if you treat them with, with respect or treat them the way you, you would like to be treated by them, you get that back. Like, I think if you, if you go out with an attitude like that, people are against you and you put up a barrier and you put up some kind of a, a, aggressive, uh, you know, thought or a, aggressive behavior in yourself or body language even. Like, um, I think people shy away from you. But I think if, if you're open... Um, and as I said, treat people the way uh, you would like to treat it yourself. I think it just it makes life a lot easier for you. Uh, you don't get into the uh, the aggro, or you don't get into confrontation with people. Um, I suppose, like as I said, like people do influence you. Um, one particular manager that uh, I worked with, like you know, he said to me, like you know, just I'm not doing confrontation, like you know, in in uh, we say where you know as they do arise like you know pr problems arise and uh, personality conflicts you know come up like and you know while you don't shy away with them like I, I think sometimes there's a thing of just do nothing and it's a, it's a thing that I know I've said it before like uh, you know t to people that you know get into um, a bind or in a problem or you know they come up against something that they think that they can't fix uh, or it's unfixable. And uh, like I've, I think that, you know, and I've, I've advised it and I use it myself, like is actually don't do anything. Like the situation will change. Like if you're having a particularly bad day and just leave it alone, just say, well, look, I leave it alone, uh, go off to something else, go sleep, wake up the following day, the picture has changed. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to take on the confrontation you don't have to take on the problem you don't have to take on the issue like it's put in front of you like you can face up to it uh, and you know if it's if it's something that you can solve yourself well that's grand but if it's something that you can't solve you know just again another another coach has said to me and he's he is what he is like he's, he's religious and he believes in something like he just said to me uh, that's too much for me uh, so I just leave it to God and you know as he said like well God could be anything like it can be whoever you think or whatever you think or just you know do what I've just said there just do nothing uh, leave it and uh, you know as I said the picture will change the, the following day it could be better um you know things move on like so you know when you come up against, I, I i believe in it if you come up against something and it's just ah, look i can't fix this thing well don't try just leave it that's that's such a an interesting and insightful um observation you made but and i've seen i, I know you personally so I, i've seen that work for you that um, and it is so important that we don't take on every problem because if you bring things home and um, either from football or from uh, your professional life, it, it serves no purpose. And as you said, the picture will probably change tomorrow. What you said there was um, interesting about influence decisions. Do we really think of things ourselves or do we subconsciously or consciously um, extract it from one person or another or uh, one source or another? Um, but what I've noticed in what you're saying is You've been lucky in one sense to meet a great person in Limerick uh, in your football life uh, who has really like helped you mentally and helped to manage the pressures. And like it's so encouraging that you get a good play person in your workplace to say it's okay to make mistakes. So um, it's, it's great that you've been lucky enough to be, be able to culminate the two. But um, I say lucky, but we, um, as you touched on as well, you have to be open to listen as well. And not think that you know everything and and that's what's really after helping you to to be open to what people are saying and be humble enough to listen and the the, the sources of information you've got have been really helpful yeah absolutely and uh just i suppose on that chain is you know when i see you know uh young, young people and like uh, we've had experience of it and I've had in my own junior club like uh, of uh, young men that got into you know terrible difficulty and could see no other way out like uh, and you know took the ultimate step like which is heartbreaking on everybody around like mm -hmm. um you know i just you know i can't emphasize enough like that you know there is always somebody there as you said like you know i i try to figure out things myself at times and 
but I drew on you know years of experience and making all the mistakes and having all the fears and the anxieties like uh, you know that you know th those things are transient. Uh, you know the, the the greatest amount of worry about any one issue will not uh, will not change it. Uh, in, in any iota, like if you were to mull over thing from time, over and over and over the same, focusing on the same thing, like it will not change the issue. Like, no. but as I said, like if if you speak to somebody about it, like seek advice, um, you know, uh, close friends speak to somebody, you know, that you know, an expert, you know, a lot of the people like I said to you, the Lee Morgan in, in Limerick, you well, like where I was struggling at the time with massive anxiety about. Uh, completing that course, and you know, could, could I could I stand up and do that stuff in front of uh, you know thirty or forty people, like and and try to be an expert, um, you know, and had all that anxiety, but like he helped me to get over that, like, and I think you know anyone that has any anxiety, fears, or or, or you know going through a hard day like that, you know. He, people say to you, oh, get over it. That's not right. Like, you know, there's a coat does it you know, you have to have a coping mechanism all right in your body. Like, but it's it's none of us can do these things on our own. Mm. I said if you you've got to go somewhere, like whether it is to your God, which is a silent type of thing, like turn away from from, from the anxiety and just say, Look, I'm leaving it, I can't do anything. That's some someone else got to sort that. Uh or if you you do need uh, a dig out, you've got to speak to you know, your close friends, close to, you know, anyone, family especially, like, because I think, you know, it's probably the most important group that you'll ever come across, like, um, your family, parents, uh, brothers, sisters, uh, husband, wife, like, yeah. um, they're the people who care most about you, like, so I think that, you know, you can get your, your advice, uh, or it's, it might be just, a, you know, someone to listen to you, and someone just to, to say, like, you know, well, it's okay, you know, that's, that's fine, like, uh, and as I said, Right, the, the the do nothing strategy um, is is often the best thing. Like no matter what your your problem is, whether it's interpersonal or whatever, like you know, if you just just leave it for a while, uh, walk away from it, uh, it'll evolve and it'll change and it'll be better. Uh, you know, the next day is better. The next day is better. Like, mm -hmm. um, I just I'm a firm believer in you. You know, you've got to seek. Uh, assistance somewhere, no matter what it is, even if it's just a quiet time and just take time out for yourself. Like, no, that's so important that we we are open and seek advice if we are struggling. And um, my next question was going to be, but you touched on some things there about what young athletes should do if they're if they're struggling and they need to speak to someone. But getting the the words out can be difficult for anyone, especially um, young young footballers from a school by age through. What would your advice be to to those uh, footballers or hurlers or whatever sport it may be, young athletes, um, who who are afraid to get the words out or to speak to a sporting friend, teammate, or family or relative during a difficult time? Uh, yeah, like I mean, I suppose going back to initially what I was saying, like sometimes a dressing room can be a cruel place, like you know, as I said to you, like the hard man image back in the the sixties and seventies when I was starting off playing, like was definitely a, a factor in it, and I suppose like it, it, while it, it it might have changed in context over the years, like I know that that still exists in 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 the groups, like there's the the male alpha type thing, like we we all have to be strong and that, like. Um, where the, there is definitely, uh, you know, more knowledge out there now, like about young adults, uh, you know, that, that can suffer from, from, you know, serious anxiety and, and depression. And even, you know, what, what might be just a small thing or seem a small thing can be a huge thing to, to, to the individual themselves. Like, and as I said, like, you know, none of us can solve these things like on our own, you know, uh, we need to reach out, uh, and obviously, teammates in a team like you will have, you know, uh, a, a group of people together. You might have, you know, the the the, the big, uh, would say, uh, you know, uh, the leaders of the pack, like, and you'll have the quiet lads in the dress rooms and all different types of personalities there, like, and you know, you'd be surprised, like, you know, the minute you open up to somebody, no matter. What you think of a person like or, or what you think that they, they might be like i think that person will respond i don't think that there's any human being on earth like that 
when somebody says something to them that they're in a bit of bother, that they will actually turn their back on them. Yeah. Uh, it would, you would be very unlucky to come across a person like that. So no matter who it is, uh, or even if you want to, you know, uh, use some agency that are there, like there's plenty, plenty of agencies there, like that, you know, if, if you really haven't got somebody that you can go to, you can find one. Um, well, I said like there's, it, it's not a, it's not the tier. If you if you if you don't want to talk to family or it might embarrass you, there will be a friend in the dressing room. If you don't want to talk to the lad in the dressing room or a teammate, there'll be somebody in the family. Like you know, but you've got to you've got to actually trust somebody. And you know, even if it is an anonymous type thing, like picking up the phone and and ringing an agency like the Samaritans or somebody like, mm-hmm. you know, you Go will ahead. get help. Like. I, I, I would find I, I would be honest with Shane. I, I'd find it very hard to imagine any person that would be on the receiving end of any kind of a cry for help or even a small hint from somebody that things weren't right. I'm not feeling good, like that they would actually, you know, brush them off and say, you know, something like, "Oh, look, so what?" By sort yourself. I don't think that would happen, like you know. I think, and I agree with you completely. I can't imagine that happening, but if it did happen. And what you're saying is basically put out feelers with people and, you know, see how they respond. And as you said, like, you would be very unlucky to get that negative response. Uh, Maybe 98% of the time you will get a positive response. But some people may not uh, take that step. But um, sometimes an extrinsic um, source can help and it shouldn't be undermined either that, like, the Good Samaritans or um, whoever may be outsourced or just counsellors themselves within the HSE, um, can be an ear to um, listen and these people don't know your background so they can't really judge you so if you just want to speak and get things off your mind um, it is it is a great source and what you I want to just reflect back on one of the things you said about influence decisions that how certain people respond might not resonate with you but how other people respond like you have obviously learned a lot from Liam and Limerick so and that person obviously really resonated with you. And what he said was uh, really challenged you, but it, it really worked for you. Do you think that if we incorporate a more open environment within these sports teams, it can help performances? Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, I mean, like, I suppose the, 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 what would you call it? The, the, the group environment, like, uh, in any sport, like it's the ob- the object, like is to get a group of people together to enjoy themselves and to be reasonably successful uh, at whatever they are. Like in, in the professional game, obviously to be very successful, like in order to, to win things uh, and, and go towards the ultimate prizes. Like, but uh, like I think you know each team, and when you get a group together to try achieve anything, like you know you're only as strong as your weakest link. Like so, you know to me a good manager a good coach like you know will always make sure like that it brings everybody together like you know that um this is not just this is not for my best player or, or for the top six in the group like you know we're going to achieve for that like in the, the you know it, it has to be everybody together like you know if you're if you're going to make a successful club team or anything it has to be the whole group like mm-hmm. and I suppose if you you know to look at you know the most successful teams, clubs on earth, like you know, um, and managers, leaders like Klopp and 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 Guardiola and Barcelona's and that, like you know, it's everybody from the tea lady up to to the most expensive striker is important to the group, like. So I think like that, in in any dressing room or in any group of people, like as I said, you're only as strong as the as the weakest link, and you know there shouldn't be a weak link. Like everybody should be should be brought together. And you know, you know, be part of the success, be part of the attempt, the attempt to be successful. Like, I think that's where um, people survive. Like, and people thrive in in any group. Like, whether it is your family, your job, or your team sport. Like that, it's only when everybody's pulling together and uh, everybody's looking out for each other mm-hmm. that you'll actually achieve it. If you think you're better than someone else, or if you think you're inferior to someone else, like you, you won't contribute. You won't. You won't. You won't achieve the aim. Like, yeah. um, I think it's it's vitally it's important, like, to get that group um, attitude going. Like. No, that's so interesting that you say that because you see that at all the top levels. And another thing that you were saying is about uh, feeling inferior. I remember being in some sports teams, and it would give you nerves to be even passing the ball to one player or, 
are another and that can be crippling but what we should really incorporate at a, a lower level um, as, as it comes from the top we should really incorporate from top down is you are only as strong as your weakest link you even see like in the I don't know if you've seen it but Michael Jordan documentary that he challenged Stephen Carr as he came in because he thought he was the weakest link and when he responded to him then it, it, he challenged him mentally and physically and when he responded then he was ultimately on board and as you've seen the Bulls were extremely successful in the 90s you see it at Liverpool when Clock first came in he made everyone learn everyone's name throughout the club not just within the the first 18 you see it with Guardiola you, you see it at the top level so it's something we should definitely incorporate at a lower level and I think we would see success in uh, teams being more open and getting to know each other and um, strengthening their weakest link Absolutely yeah I think that's it, it, it's vital like I mean in you know as I said like it, it, across sport without doubt like I think um, and when you know when a manager or a coach you know is given the responsibility or takes the responsibility wants the responsibility of leading a group like I think it's got to be for every person in the group uh, I think the you know when we're respectful and mindful of every person that we can have an influence on like it can be a, an absolute brilliant uh, idea brilliant thing like a brilliant experience for everybody that's involved like um i i i i, I hate as i said like you know going back to my own playing days like uh I, as a group i think we got so much pleasure and enjoyment out of each other's company and you know trusting each other like to to work hard you know the old expression you die for each other on the pitch like but mm-hmm. it was that group thinking whereas we had really good players like that would have been you know maybe sought after by other clubs like but they didn't want to leave or you know to abandon uh our club like to go somewhere else like where they might have won their medals and trophies and whatever like uh and just to stay in and join i think that that's really important and as as you said like you know those those managers that brought around brought about those um you know uh hard-working elements uh, into a team but uh, also like to make it an enjoyable experience and also make it an inclusive experience for everybody in the group not just for the top stars or for this is for the owner this is for whatever like it's as i said like it's for the tea lady up to the fellow who costs 70 million like everybody has to share in the success and i think that's that's where everybody you know you don't leave anybody behind at that stage and it's it's such an inclusive a remarkable thing then when everybody gets something out of it. No, inclusiveness is paramount and um, you even see it at an underage level where there might be one kid who just isn't as talented as the rest but that kid may not contribute to a a football in a football sense but he may contribute to getting the team going or he might be the funny kid or there's there's more than one way you can contribute within a team absolutely it's one of the things that one of the maddening things that i suppose is still around in in football i know you know in fairness to the fai and uh if you know the local school by leagues they're trying to uh, make sure that if you bring a you know an under eleven team and you have eighteen in the squad, like that, every player gets equal game time and that. Like, and, yeah. you know, I think that those things it's 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 probably a pity like that they they have to be brought in as a rule that you would think yeah. like that uh, people would actually you know want to do that. Like, but I think that's where the, the crossover between you know who wants the success more. Like, is it you know a manager who has you know an an image of himself being successful and and feeling good in himself like. While his team doesn't get as much out of it, or maybe only he's starting 11, but he has seven substitutes on the sideline who probably end up resenting him and the team and resenting sport and you know, you know, other things as well. Like, so that, that's heartbreaking for me, and I, I hate seeing it. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 I suppose, a reflection on life like that rules had to be brought in that people couldn't see that that's the right way to do it. Where you know, well, as a coach educator. We were always, you know, telling people that that's that's the way to do it and that's what you should do, because it'll be the day that your star striker um, gets injured and you might have to rely on the fellow who's only played ten minutes in the game you're winning six nil seven weeks ago. It has to be brought in to to play in your final game, like, and mm-hmm. he's not prepared for it, like, and the pressure on that kid in is untold, but. No, that's um, such a good point that we do include inclusiveness. And it is a pity that we do have to make these rules, but out of 10 teams, say, in an under-11 A-League or B-League or C, 
that it would just take one manager from one club to just take the under 11 sport too serious. Um, a question I was actually going to ask you earlier, but I passed over was um, like, obviously at a young age, you're coaching different kids and even up to the FAI levels. At what point do you balance being successful against um, like players development, you know, because obviously the development should be the, like the most paramount um, focal point of any underage team before they get to senior level. Senior level is all about success, but um, to get players there, we need to um, like obviously uh, often trade off being successful and winning a game versus actually getting more for the whole team and having different players develop. Yeah, I suppose it's 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 a very it's a it's a hard question. It's a, and it's a it's a it's a tough one. Like for coaches and uh, anyone involved in in uh, especially say the academy situation. Like you know when does uh, you know a lad that's coming in when was the transition between him being a, de- a develop uh, sorry a development style player a developing player um, or to become and say a competitive then stroke, you know, maybe professional, go on to the highest level, like, you know, and how, how do you do that? It, again, it's it's in it's in steps of stairs, really. Like, uh, I think, that, as I said to you earlier, um, like, as a coach, like, it's just to assist, I think, you know, a skillful player become more skillful, uh, point out uh, little tactical things and small technical things that might assist him in his game. Mm-hmm. As a manager, then uh, you, you can do it in the sections like you know help your defenders get stronger uh be better headers of the ball get your wingers faster work on speed you know so you're developing the player as he goes through like um that fine line then between uh you know when do you have to say encourage like that a winning mentality is i presume the question you're asking me when do you get that one to to come into a player's mind like I think it's, you know, different people mature and, you know, achieve both physical and mental maturity at different times in their life. Like, uh, and I think that that's an influence on it as well. Like, whereas uh, a coach and a manager and a system can say like, well, you know, at say 15 or 16, like, well, he should be, you know, you know, he should have that Roy Keane mentality, like, you know, that he goes out to win every game and we've got to be the best that we can, like on any particular day, like, um, I think that that happens at different stages for different people. I think, and it, it's up to the coaches and the managers to you know recognise that. Like, no, um, that's so true. And often, even underage football, you see people come back at after summer and they're different uh, levels, or they're after training more, or they just come back and everything seems to click for them. And you speak of like getting uh, everyone involved and speaking about the development. So, like two two prime examples of that will be Jordan Henderson and John O'Shea. They didn't always be the star players, but they're two Champions League winners. Just when yeah. we're on the topic of development, Billy, we often speak about being physically ready in sports, i.e., like pre-season injury recovery, winter breaks, and physical fitness is heavily focused on. Is there any infrastructure within these programs for mental fitness and where do you think sports can improve their facilitation for like mindfulness or mental health? Uh, th- uh, th- I think it's, it's, there's a lack of it uh, throughout sport. I think being honest with you, except at the very highest levels, like um, I think that most amateur clubs uh, spend very little time on it. Um, I think even as, as you know, as you go through, you know, in this country, even moving into League of Ireland and to the League of Ireland Academy system, uh, I don't think there's enough time given to it either. Um, I think it's it's a concern of mine um, that you know anything that's done on the mental thing is is about creating a winning mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure whether that's you know. Uh, I don't think that gives uh, you know a, a very overall or balanced, uh, um, we'd say, mental approach to uh, sports psychology. Um, you know, I think any of the sports psychology that I've seen uh, has always been leaning towards getting an extra advantage for the group or for the team. But uh, as regards, you know, helping uh, an individual become uh, strong or uh, you know, um, a more rounded character, 
uh, I don't think that's that's there. As, as I said, like um, there are exceptions. Like uh, I said, Liam Morgan was the person who, who um, and he he wasn't just speaking to to me. Uh, it was about the, all the sports. Like the course I did in Limerick was was based across all different sports. Like and individual sports like tennis and snooker. You know, he had a big influence on um, on. Um, one of our Irish players, his name just gone from it for a moment, uh, Ken Doherty, sorry, on Ken Doherty, he, he spoke a lot about uh, his influence on him. But uh, I think, you know, it's it's we don't have, uh, the, say, the expertise there. I think mindfulness uh, is, is, you know, something that, you know, as individuals we can bring into it. Um, but I think uh, regarding, say, the teams and, and squads, you know, uh, getting uh, say a, a mental health like it's sports psychology but it's always there to gain an advantage on the opposition like that's what I, I say about it's um it's only about you know how you can uh, get one over get your well get your win get your victory mm-hmm. and uh, that type of attitude towards us like it it has its place in sport as well like you know i mean it's it's as much as as the physical sciences as much as as working on the skills of the game like it's definitely part of it now but uh, I think the, treating the the player and the in, individual uh, as more of a human being, I think, um, whereas I know that the likes of Guardiola and Klopp and at the high level there certainly do that. And I'm sure that there are managers in, in Ireland that have that, like, but mm-hmm. I haven't witnessed too much of it. Like, you know, there are certain manager, managers and coaches as individuals have a great uh, humility and humanity about them, like, and uh, they're very caring for their players, uh, and you know, always ask about their, you know, home life and whatever, like. But that's it's it's not widespread, and I, I haven't seen it as as uh, as much at junior level, like. You know, I think you know, the, the time is not there probably for it, like. But I think managers that do show that human. Um, concern for players as individuals I think get a better relationship with their player probably get more out of them in the end um, so I think like you know that personal relationship whether it's as simple as, as that's what I've just described there you know just asking him about how his home life is and be interested in him as you know how's he getting on at school if he's you know a teenager or moving on to college or that like I think that's important and you know I think for a manager to you know, to get to know uh, what he's dealing with and how he can uh, motivate and help his player to become a valuable member of his team. Uh, he's got to have a very good, you know, overall holistic uh, approach to his relationship with the player. And it's important that they're that when we're talking about mindfulness and stuff like that, our mental health, and we talk about sports psychology, it's about winning, but Sometimes our strongest player, or say strongest air quotes, our best player, like they're, they could be the ones struggling just as much as the 18th player could be struggling. So it's so important that we do try to incorporate some sort of mental health regimes in, into our football or our hurling or Gaelic or even yeah. athletics or the whole way through sport. Um, just the last question here, Billy. Um, any advice from just, just on that point, Shane? Sorry, just on that point. Uh, I just I saw the um, probably a lot of people did the interview with um, Cristiano Ronaldo done uh, by um, uh, just on, I can't think of the, the interviewer's name now, but uh, he he showed a clip of Cristiano's dad who who passed away a number of years earlier. I wasn't sure the relationship between, but uh, like he broke down in tears in the in the interview, you know, in front of the cameras and that like. And uh, he's he's a remarkable young man. I think in in some ways um, he might be everybody's cup of tea. Uh, the way he goes uh, goes about certain things in his game, like but like we all have our, our idiosyncrasies. But uh, I just thought it was it was very humbling uh, that you know he didn't ask to stop the interview or anything like that. Like you know and that uh, he wore his heart on his sleeve. Like so you know when they say. Uh, but grown men cry. I mean, that was probably one of the biggest superstars in world football. Like you know, Sean, you know the hu- human side of it uh, and of his own personality. Like, no, that's so true. And you see, even I, I keep referring back to Liverpool because I follow him. But uh, Jordan Henderson and Klopp embracing after Champions League, uh, crying and there's tears running down his face. Klopp recently done an interview, 
after winning the Premier League on Thursday night and he had to walk away from the interview because he just it was too emotional for him. So mm-hmm. as he said There's an awful lot of Manchester United fans crying at the same time. <laughs> Not the wrong one. Well that's the human side of it, Bill. Um, yeah. <laughs> any advice to men similar to yourself who may be afraid to say to a, a close friend that they have been struggling mentally? Uh, look, I suppose uh, I said at the beginning there, like I, I'm, I'm moving on now up towards the the 60th year. Like, and I suppose I've, I've, I've got this far, uh, but that doesn't say that every day is easy. Like, and I think anyone that's you know, you know, lived their life uh, to my age, or you know, uh, through the times that I, that I've been through and through, you know. Uh, say family marriage uh, work you know your your sport and life like you know and all the challenges that it puts up like it's probably uh, uh you know it's we've got this far like you know and yeah hopefully that we'll all see it out like to, to whatever the conclusion is like but um i i see you know people struggle at any stage like in life with different problems like i said i, I they struck me at, at various times in my life and uh, I suppose sport was probably, you know, a great outlet for me for either getting away from it or finding somebody that could help me in it, as, as I've, you know, related earlier. But I think that there's always help there, like, um, and, you know, where you can draw at, at my age and people that have, you know, lived a long life, we say, or, you know, that have gone into their 30s and 40s, like, they have an experience that you can draw on and know that, you know, look, I've been through darker days in the past and, you know, I, they moved on. I think the, the picture changed. It's now different, like, from what it was. Like, and just maybe use that as motivation, like that, you know, knowing and in the full knowledge that things, the picture will change. Like, uh, it, this day won't always be a bad day. Like, tomorrow, you know, the sun will come up again tomorrow. Like, we start all over again. We'll have a look at it. But if, if there's anybody, uh, you know, that has, you know, the darkest of thoughts. Like, I think, you know, there's a time, you know, when if you can just break it for a, a, you know, a second, like take a breath and say like, you know, what can I do? Where can I go to? There is an answer there somewhere. Like, you know, there's, there's always somebody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, they tell the stories like of, you know, people that were on the brink of, of, of doing bad things. Like, and just walking along the streets, somebody just happened to smile at him as they passed and it broke the thought for him. Like, so it could be the simplest of things like that. If you, you know, see somebody, you know, as a person yourself, you could see someone that it, it, they look like they're having a bad day or uh, deep in their own thought. Like, and it could be a simpler thing as just saying, hi, how you doing? Nice day or something like that. And just might break it for that person. Like, you know, you don't know what good the, the simplest of things are doing. So... For, I suppose for the person who's it was in a in a position that you know they think that there's no way out like just to say like you know will I try one more time will I just see what can I do will I try one more day will I speak to somebody just anybody close family or as I said earlier maybe just pick up a phone or text someone get some reply from somebody and just make contact reach out like and everybody out there wants to to help another person like it's the nicest feeling like you know we talk about sport you know it's the nicest feeling when when you achieve something and you've helped others like you know as a coach or a manager or a player you've helped your teammates everybody's happy as you described everybody's hugging each other like mm-hmm. so if you reach out to somebody at the darkest times uh somebody will respond like that person will respond like and you will get something back from it and it it probably and it should it should be and will be something that'll actually get you through and get you on to the next day. And like, you know, there's something good in, in every day. You know, it, it, it mightn't be obvious like to us as, as we go through life, like, uh, but there is something there. If you look back on yesterday or the day before, or, you know, dark and all as it was, well, actually I got through it, you know, so that's something good. You actually survived it, like, you know, so, you know, there's a, every day is a success. Like, you know, if you can go to bed, get up the following morning, uh, you've survived another one, uh, and hopefully you've 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 learned you've you've given somebody else something, and there's there's great um, reward in doing things for other people as well. Like you know, so I think everybody wants to help each other. It's the only reason we're here. Like we're not here to gather money to be 
no. uh, president of this place or to, you know, all we're here is just to help each other out. Mm -hmm. No, there are some really good points, Billy. I couldn't agree more with all of them. So just to summarise the last point there, it's just to be positive. Um, if, if you are that person struggling, um, if, if you're not struggling yourself, but you see someone who might be down, just be kind. And I always think of like um, mental health as a kind of tire built up with pressure. If you just uh, slowly release and talk to someone, um, you'd be surprised the pressure can relieve out each day and make the next day that bit easier. And um, Billy, thanks very much. I know, I know our, um, I've really enjoyed this and I'm sure our listeners will, um, all things sports and mental health. Thanks very much, Billy. Thanks, Shane. Take care.